if I inflicted pain upon myself and it was positive pain for a workout, I could flip this kinesthetic switch. I called it my pain switch and I would flip that pain switch. I can now push it harder and realize why can't I apply that same thing to nutrition? This is an opportunity, an opportunity to move more, an opportunity to move tomorrow. And that's not having this transactional relationship again because what you don't want to do is say, Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome to this special masterclass. We've brought some of the top experts in the world to help you unlock the power of your life through this specific theme today. It's going to be powerful, so let's go ahead and dive in. For people that don't have that type of discipline, how can they be consistent on the nutritional intake over a lifetime and make it their lifestyle and not just a diet? Yeah, I mean, it's such a basic, good question that people always want to bring it back to like tracking and things like that. Mm. I think that that doesn't, that that works, tracking works, but you're talking about it at a deeper level, right? Yes. Because I, I experience the same thing. I can have the most steadfast meditator monk that I'm talking to, and they will still battle with this, right? Really? And it's some to the point where we have so much things, so many things that are just available at our fingertips that are just... Temptations. In not, not in alignment with how we've continued to evolve as, yeah. uh, you know, it's like we just... Technology and food production and the food industry is growing at an exponentially faster rate than how we are changing, right? So we have these things that are available that just simply shouldn't, and outside of putting yourself in a, in a locker and like away from these foods, a total echo chamber, like you are fighting temptation all the time. And we have to recognize that there's only so much power in your prefrontal cortex. There's yeah. only so much, so much willpower. willpower right? yeah. Like it's a finite resource. So with that, you have to kind of change your way of thinking. And the way that like this occurred to me like three years ago or so when I had, I had a really, really bad like sinus infection. And I've always had kind of recurring sinus infections ever since I was little, but I had one that was really bad and I couldn't taste or smell for like two months, wow. right? And that was something where I realized like, why am I still craving these certain foods? I can't even taste them, right? And it was like this aha moment where I'm like, this is clearly a mental thing because something sweet hits your taste buds. It's not just the taste of it. It's what it's doing in the brain. So changing your relationship with food, changing your relationship with struggle has been a very big thing, right? So. For me, I always had this kinesthetic awareness thing with my workouts, right? With workouts, it was like if I inflicted pain upon myself and it was positive pain for a workout, I could flip this kinesthetic switch that was like, I called it my pain switch and I would flip that pain switch and you know as, a, as a, an athlete, mm -hmm. like, that's sometimes just what you do and it happens inadvertently. Sometimes you visualize it, but visualization is huge. So for me, I'd visualize flipping the pain switch. The switch is off, I can now push it harder and push it past my normal aerobic capacity, anaerobic, whatever. I realized, why can't I apply that same thing to nutrition without becoming robotic, but becoming very, very aware? And so I've changed my relationship mm. with how food makes me feel. So like, and that's taken a lot of work. So what do you say to yourself? What, what's the conversation, the inner dialogue, the, the mental strategy you use yeah. to do that? As simple as it sounds, whenever I would eat something for about two or three months, I would simply say like, food is fuel. Food is fuel. And that sounds very... Because you don't want to take the fun out of it. I still yeah. love food, right? 
So with when you do that, but you have to train yourself to believe that like, okay, if I'm eating this sugar, that's okay. But remember, it's fuel and I should use it. Right. Or if I'm, and that's the thing here. So if I want to eat it, make sure I move my body, go for a 10 minute walk, walk up some exactly, stairs, move it a little bit, just get it out. When you change the relationship with food, mm. you're not abstaining. You're, you're changing the reaction. Right. Mm. So like, and yeah. I should never have a, a bucket of ice cream and then just sit around. Well, that's, it's just the thing, right? <laughs> it's like, it's if like, you're going to do it. Eat it in the morning, eat it for breakfast, whatever. Right. <laughs> like, and then go move all day. It, exactly. It's, so that relationship, I mean, it gets much bigger than that, right? But that relationship with food is everything. And so many of us have a distorted relationship with food. And for me being, I've been on opposite ends of sort of the, the spectrum, right? Like when I was younger, I was practically, you know, as a runner, I was practically eating disorder category, the other direction. Like I have to be as light as possible. Oh, I don't want to eat that. I don't want to get fat. I don't want to... And then it kind of went the other way where it was almost like masochistic where I'm just like, I don't care. I'm fat already. Let's just go all go the way. All, yeah, yeah. Okay, now it's kind of like, find a little bit of that middle ground, but the pendulum probably swings much more towards how I was when I was younger. Got to stay lean, got to stay this. But I also have recognized that like food, food is still reward. And we are constantly told that food shouldn't be treated as a reward. Don't reward your kids with food. I call on that. The reason is, is because like food has always been a reward. Right, it's always been a reward. For you us. get the hunt and you yeah. get the food. Yeah, you go gather, you it's, get the food. Yeah, it's simple, right? It, it's what you have to do is you just have to once again change the relationship with the feelings attached to food. Recognize that those feelings are there, but do something with them rather than just let them let them be and consume you. Mm. If I am going to go and eat that ice cream, then I'm aware of what that's doing in my body, and. I'm not going to let that turn me the other direction and get depressed and go eat more. I'm going to say, you know what? This is an opportunity, an opportunity to move more, an opportunity to move tomorrow. And that's not having this transactional relationship again. Because what you don't want to do is say, I'm going to eat some pie and now I'm going to punish myself by going on the treadmill. That's the exact Mm. wrong thing to do, right? But you do say, okay, I'm going to eat this pie. Great, I've got full glycogen tanks. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to get the best workout of my life. Having kids has really made this apparent. Mm. Because... Kids are constantly, I want a snack. I want a snack. It's like they have five stomachs. I don't understand it. But, <laughs> and like, how do you, like, if they're reaching for like a Lara bar or something that I would still consider healthy, but has a decent amount of sugar from dates yes. and stuff, right? Like they, kids just crave these things. And how do I teach them that you, yeah, you can eat that, but we should really get out and move, right. you know? And, you know, it's kind of like how I translate it to them is, hey, it's fun to feel good. It's fun to feel good, right? Like you've got this energy from that bar. Doesn't that feel good? Like, let's, let's get out and let's use that energy. Let's go have fun. And now it's to the point where my kids are like, can I have a lar bar? I want to go outside and play. That's I'm like, right. this is awesome. Like, that's cool. without actually like molding them in any right. weird way, I've helped them like light a spark to understand that like when they eat this and at a young subconscious level in their brain, it's probably forming something that's beyond what we even know in research where maybe they taste something sweet and now they naturally want to move versus saying like, oh, shame, guilt, I shouldn't have eaten this, it's terrible. No, we're going to go have fun, we're going to play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I teach them that with not just sugar, I teach them that with, with fats too, because I think it's also fundamental to learn that all food is fuel, Yes. but be in touch with how it makes you feel. So how I retain that discipline is the exact same way. It's like, how do I feel? What, did, what do I feel after I eat this? Did I feel crappy? Okay, well, then that's probably a pretty good articulation of what that's doing in my body. And with that, it's, 
it's really turned into this intuitive eating. And that's like, I guess, the, I mean, it's a great segue to talk about how fasting has worked, right? Because fasting has allowed me to have more flexibility with my diet in the confines of still like appropriate discipline. Uh, because I can flip that switch on and off a lot yes. easier. Fasting, not fasting. Fasting, not fasting. So. And you're one of the, there's a few things I want to talk about here before I get into fasting. Uh, one is the, the mantra, it sounds like you had, the mental switch, the mantra of food is fuel. Yeah. So is that something you would think about right before you were making a decision of what to eat? No. You'd see usually, something? Usually or, while eating it. While eating it. So it wasn't helping you make a decision of like, okay, here's a candy bar. Am I going to decide this is, is this going to help me and fuel me in a positive way or a negative yeah. fuel? That's too willpowery. That's okay. too, that, that takes too much energy. So you would still eat the candy bar if you needed, to, or if you did. While I, while, well, yes. And granted, this was happening three, three and a half years ago. So candy bars weren't really in the equation anymore. Right. But that being said. Because of an apple or whatever. Okay, something. Yeah, or something <laughs> like, because I would With, still crave fruit or, yes. you know, whatever. But yes, exactly. It's like while I'm consuming it, it's like really trying to teach my body and understand like this visualization, you know the power of visualization, mm-hmm. obviously, you just yourself and the guests you've had on. It's like that visualization with eating something can be just as powerful. So you would say this as you're having a bite of the apple or, or whatever it might be, be having an internal conversation, food is fuel, and then having a positive relationship with something that might be looked at as negative before. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Precisely, yep. And training your body to appreciate the food and to say, okay, I'm going to go act and move my body after I eat this, and it's going to help me, it's not going to hurt me, and I don't need to be shameful about eating this. Is that kind of the, yes. the process? Yeah. Because a lot of people that eat something, and they they feel good because it tastes good, but then they feel shameful. Yes. And that doesn't help them, because then yeah. they have more of that to have the good feeling and then feel shame again. And the exactly. cycle continues. Because what is happening here is much different than what's happening here. Yeah. And... You know, in our world, like we get this instant gratification from food, especially like the translation of, I see a direct correlation with my time scrolling social media and my addiction to my phone, direct line item correlation to how much I crave snacking and things like that. It's the same firing, you know, right? It's like that same dopamine itch that needs to be scratched. Yes. And just in the same way I get addicted to looking at my phone or checking my email, that usually correlates with how much my addiction to food is at that point in time. But like, you don't just say, like, I am going to like, resist the urge to check yeah. my email. I'm going to resist the urge to check my email. Sometimes it takes, like, what is the response? Like, a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll check your email first thing in the morning. You'll get a negative email, and you, it hits you then. You're like, this is how I'm starting my day? Oh, like, yeah. this is what I'm going to do? Like, screw that, and that's your catalyst. But like with food... You eat a Snickers bar and it feels so good up here. You feel like you're doing the it's right amazing. thing. amazing. Every, everything is telling you in that immediate moment that this was a good decision, Lewis. <laughs> like you did the right thing. And your belly afterwards is like, oh, why yep. is it digesting weird? And now I feel like lethargic. And yeah. And you go out and you move and you try to do something with it. And yeah, you're going to have some fuel, but you're going to be like, you know what? It's crazy enough. That didn't feel as good as when I had that apple. And you exactly. start creating this internal checks and balances, if you want to call it that. When was the moment that was the make or break moment for you? That you said, enough is enough, or never again, or I got to start this journey the real way, like I'm going all in. When was that moment? There was a, a period in 2002. I, I, I had fallen in love with this girl when I was 16, and we were really, really good friends. She says we were best friends, and she had zero interest in me 
uh, romantically. You were in the friend zone. I was in the friend zone. Yeah. Fine. Um, 16 years old. 16 years old. How, uh, what was your he- weight like then? I was heavy, but I wasn't quite like a, as heavy like as 200, 250, 300. You know, I wasn't, even then, it's like I wasn't getting on scales often. Right. I certainly wasn't 500 pounds. I actually have a picture of us um, from when we were 16 and we were hanging out. And I'm a heavy guy, but I'm not morbidly obese. Yeah. Um, we became romantic in 2002. And, and it, there was just a, a moment where I was like, oh, if I'm going to make this work, if, if this really has a shot at longevity, I got to change because she likes to do stuff like take a hike right. and spend the day at the beach and go to museums. And I can't do that, you know? So that was kind of it. It was like, how, I, want, I want to have this relationship with her, so I must change. It was a, a bizarre kind of counterintuitive conversation that I had with her too because having it, I was scared, like, if I have this conversation, she'll know how that I'm overweight, like, that I'm obese. As, as if <laughs> she didn't know. As <laughs> if she didn't know. It was like this thing. If I show her that this is something I want to change, not just, like, this masculine thing of, like, I'm showing weakness. It wasn't that. It was, this is the hardest. This, is, this thing is so unconfrontable. I never think about it. I, I push it away. It's it's almost become something subconscious. So if I bring it to the forefront and I say, let's address this, that's a very uh, scary and narrow path to walk because failure, I, I, I figure life is failure at mm. that point, mm. you know? Yeah. So that was 2002. Is, did you start going all in? Was it dabbling a little bit and kind of lost weight, went back off the wagon. What was that like for the next 18 years till now? I went all in and I'm a, I'm a sober guy too. So I went all in in a very, uh, in a similar fashion to achieving sobriety, which was admit that I'm powerless and turn my problem over to somebody else and go like, I am incapable of figuring this out right now. Uh I'm going to do exactly what you say until we get to the point that I can take over. Mm. And she was like, great, here's what you're going to do. I have went and found a guy who has a liquid diet. You can do it for up to two months. Why don't you do that? You don't have to do it for two months. You can do it for one month. You can do it for two Let's see how this goes. And I crushed that. Two months liquid diet. 80 pounds. Wow. Two months. This is not like drinking Cokes all day liquid diet. This no. is no sugar liquid diet. This is like, I mean, the calories were so low. It was like three weird protein shakes with some green powder uh-huh. and a ton of supplements that were, I think, mostly fiber and some mm. vitamins and as much water as I could drink. And that's it. 80 pounds, two months. 80 pounds. But that's still in the 400 zone. Yeah. But, but you must I will say it. this. Of all the weight I've gained and lost, I never dipped back into those 80 pounds. Wow. Never once. So wow. that, that I, it was such a prize that I've never gotten close to like back into that zone. And I followed that up with, um, I don't even know what the diet's called. It might have been like a blood type diet mm-hmm. or something. And... It was kind of on that where I realized, like, well, I'm going to have to try different diets. And I tried a 
basically every diet that exists. What worked the best for you? The easiest thing was keto. Yeah. Because I just didn't have to think about anything. You eat lots of meat. You just eliminate certain things and eat as kind of as much as you want of other stuff, right? Yeah, and I th- and that worked to a degree. As I had less and less weight to lose, I found that I had to like mess around with what I was yeah. eating. Because yeah. you know, when I first started, it was like you can eat bacon and Swiss cheese all day long. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay, well that's easy. And I I would, and I'd lose weight, and I'd be like, this is a magical diet. And I'm putting mayonnaise on everything, yeah. and I'm losing weight. How is this possible? Um, you know, my little salad would have four cups of salad dressing on it and, you know, no sugar, but like a ton of fat. Um, and that did work and I was able to do it and it was super easy for traveling. You just rip the bread off stuff and eat steaks Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's actually, I think, uh, designed to be easy to get around the world and eat this way. Um, once... I got really close to, there were, there were two periods. There was a period in 2012 where I was super into cycling and I got really lean, much smaller was than like I am. like 190 or something or one? I was just about 200, wow. but that's tiny for me. And, um, you know, you think about 200, that's still, you're a big dude, but that was really, really small for me. And I just know, noticed that if I was eating only fat, I was suffering on the bicycle. Like I wasn't as efficient on the bicycle. Mm-hmm. So some sugars, gels, carbs, yeah, some stuff. carbs entered my diet, and like I would fly up hills, you know, um, which was really cool. Then I had a bad accident. Um, my wife told me that I wasn't ever going to make a living riding a bike. You know, I thought we were rich and that I could retire and just ride my bike at like 35 years mm-hmm. old forever. Uh, that was not the case. Uh, she said I had to go work again. So I went back to acting and the bike kind of fell away and I started doing like CrossFit and, mm-hmm. and rowing machines. Mm-hmm. I was I could crush a full marathon on a rowing machine, no wow. problem. Um, and then at some point I was kind of having trouble finding work and kept hearing like, well, you're not the big guy, the heavy, lovable guy anymore. So there was a point where I was like, okay, I'm just going to eat and lift weights and see what happens. And I ate whatever I wanted for about a year and lifted weights and got pretty near 400 pounds again. Wow. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so you gained 200 pounds within a year close well no it was really from like 2000 three years was three years yeah 2013 how long were you how long did you pause from acting 2010 and pause is not quite the right word. I did a few pilots that didn't get picked up. Sure. Um, 
but I was putting no effort into it. It was like if they called me and said, please come do our pilot, I would do it. Right. But I'm not going on auditions. You're not. No. I was really just riding my bike. When you've been in, how many movies you've been in and TV shows? I've never counted. I actually have no 50 idea. 50 plus, you think? Yeah. At least, right? Yeah. When you've been in that many movies or shows, do you have to audition anymore? Yeah, sure. You still have to audition? Yeah, definitely. Really? Even if they've seen all your work, they know what you can do. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of the, uh, the director wanting to see if you're exactly what he wants for this specific project or now that I'm physically different, what is that going to look mm -hmm. like, you know? But yeah, yeah, I still have to audition. What was the, when you look back, what do you think the, the thing is that drew you to eating as a, as a, a bad habit or an addiction or a mind numbing process that was a part of your life for so long? Was there, a number of events was there moments was there something that connected you to that i've tried to do like self psychoanalysis on this and i get to uh, a point where i'm five years old i go to visit my grandparents in vermont and their reaction to me and if i look at a picture of myself as at five years old today I see just like a normal, healthy kid with maybe some chubby cheeks, right? Mm -hmm. Their reaction to me was like, oh my God, what are your parents doing to you? You have gone to crap, right? This is out of hand. We need to get this under control. And my favorite food was lasagna, which my grandpa mm, would always so make good. me. Yeah, and he had it cooking. As I arrived, I could smell mm. it. And I'm there visiting them for the first time without my mom or dad in Vermont, like super excited. Their reaction is this. And then they basically were like, we're not, you can't have a second helping of lasagna. So in that day was the first time that I snuck food and it was clearing the table and eating food off their plate. At plates. the same time, like clearing it and like. Yeah, just stuffing in a few bites because I was not allowed to. Like I reached for a second helping and got my hand patted. Like no. At five. Yeah, that's off limits. You, you eat what we tell you to do. And then the next day they weighed me first thing in the morning, which what? I had never been on a scale before and, I, and I'm being weighed. And then it was like, okay, we're going on a, on a on a one mile walk that is for your benefit and this did a number of things it developed the sneaking food habit that developed the habit of wanting to eat privately and and the idea that people mm. witnessing me eating was not good and it also created a a weird barrier to me just naturally wanting to be outside and active because at five i was very active running around but when it was enforced when it was this point of like a punishment almost yeah this is we're not consulting how willing you are to do this we're not saying is there something you'd like to do outside we're saying you must go march on this it was like a mile to their mailbox and, and a mile back and like this is not for fun this is for because you have gotten so overweight that really pushed the idea of physical activity mm. into another punishment type thing where right. I just didn't want to do it anymore. So it was kind of this wild confluence of um, new mental structures that I built where it was like, well, I'm going to sneak food now and I'm going to not 
do activities. How insecure were you about your weight when you got older and started recognizing it or seeing maybe someone make fun of you or realizing like, oh, I can't go on a hike with my, my girlfriend or my friends and do these certain activities. Did you feel insecure about it ever or was it more of just this is who you are? I definitely felt insecure about it. I also got into a lot of fights as a kid and, and was like, you know, there were a few times in elementary school where like some preschooler would say like, wow, look how fat he is. And that um, obviously wasn't going to fight a little preschooler. And, and you come to learn like, well, avoid little kids at all costs because they just say they see something and they just talk about it. And I didn't, I, that w made me terribly uncomfortable. But if like another 10 year old said something like that to me, we would just have a fight. And mm -hmm. then people would know like, oh, he's got He's like not a nice guy in that circumstance. Yeah. We're not going to say that to him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So how did you get into acting and being such a successful actor while also having this kind of insecurity or knew that you stood out in a different way than most of the other actors in Hollywood? There was like, uh, I, in school, there were, I, I didn't really like school either. I didn't, I, I grew to really dislike anything done from a point of authoritarianism. Yeah. I, I just was not for me. So if it's like you're going on a diet or you have to do sports or you have to study, I was not into it. Um, which is really bizarre because now I love nothing more than a diet I find for myself and studying something I'm interested in and finding a sport to be interested. Like I can become obsessive about these yeah. things and do them 110% if it's my own determination. But from a point of authority, it just didn't fly. Um, and I noticed a, a couple of things. I was never like a class clown, but we had an actor in my school mm. and so much more attention was paid to the fact that he was an actor than any of his physical attributes, any of his other accomplishments in school, it, it was like this, this distraction, this like, here's who this person is, but like, here's this weird identity that actually has nothing to do with him, that we're all gonna focus on that. And, and there was something kind of magical about that, oh. like, I can't like kill people with jokes, that's just not what I do. But what if I had that too? What You're not if super I had, sexy and attractive. I'm with not going to do pack. any. Yeah. yeah. But I could create this other identity that would distract people from how fat I am and, and talking about that or poking fun at me or even wanting to talk to me about it. Because like, I'll just hmm. show them this. What if I do this? So there was, and it got you out of school. Because this dude would leave school for weeks at a time wow. and go hang out on sets and like, guess what's on a set? Craft services on a set. And Free food all day. And you got a trailer. Like, you can fill your pockets with food right. and go back to your trailer and eat it. Like, it's this wonderful place. It was like... Unlimited food supply. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> and then there was also, like, always going to be, like, some grip who had a prescription to Percocet mm. that you could, like give a wink to yeah. and you know like your my and by the way it always started legitimately like my feet hurt my ankles and my knees hurt like these are real things hey, I, you're on set 18 hours a day you're standing, doing this like none of it is just um irrational how do people get to consistency where they're not in blame mode they're not in beat up mode when they fall off track when they miss a workout or a meal that they know is healthy for them. 
And how can they actually make it their identity and a lifestyle as opposed to something they do once in a while? My running coach, his name is Jeff Cunningham. He's based on Austin. And he has this thing that he says, and it's, it's better to be consistently good than occasionally great. And you can apply that to, to fitness, to your goals, to your diet. Where you see a lot of people fail is they go 180. They decide, today's the day, I'm cutting everything out. I'm going, they attach to, they attach to a, a, a training style or, or, or a diet. Today I'm going all keto. Yeah. Today I'm going all carnivore. Today I'm going vegan. Today I'm just doing CrossFit. Today I'm just training for a marathon. They eliminate everything else they were doing that was possibly working for them because they flip it 180, they go all in on something, and then they realize it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. They burn out. They don't enjoy it. There's no passion. There's no fun. So how do you become consistently good rather than occasionally great? Maybe maybe I flipped 180. I started a new training program and a new diet, and I lasted for five days. Those were a great five days. But then for the next 360, no. nothing. So how do you become consistently good? It's this small implementation of changes that compound over time. And what happens with consistency is it compounds to become greater and greater and larger and larger greatness. So maybe next week I'm going to add one extra run into my, my week. Let's see how that feels. Maybe next week I'm going to eliminate soda mm-hmm. or processed foods. Just see how that feels. I'm going to change my breakfast. I'm going to change what time I go to sleep. You, you slowly start incorporating, adding these positive benefits into your life. And they become part of your routine over maybe three, six, nine, 12 months, but not overnight. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of people miss. But when people struggle with just being consistent on those things, even if they add like a small thing or eliminate one small thing, why is it so hard for people to be consistent with one thing, let alone, you know, everything? And how can people learn how to be more consistent? I feel like that's a skill in itself. Just doing something every week for a year is a skill. I think part of it is, like, what are you choosing to be consistent with? You actually care mm-hmm. about what you're doing. You know, we, we just entered a new year and a lot of people will set New Year's resolutions and I bet you most people that set these resolutions are choosing things that they don't actually want to do or care about. One of the best ways to be consistent is choosing things to be consistent with and about that you can stick to and that you want to. Don't choose running if you hate running. Mm-hmm. Maybe you like hiking. Maybe you like walking. Maybe you like going to the gym. Choosing things that you, you want to be consistent with is the first step, I believe. And then Why? Are you doing it to prove others wrong? Are you doing it to be healthy? Are you doing it for your family? Do you, you know, is your baby due in a month and you want to be a better parent for them? Is that the reason why? I think those are the, the first steps. Yeah. Are we doing things just to spin our wheels? Are we doing things to be intentional? Mm-hmm. Because lack of intentionality leads to a repetition of what is easiest, and it's easy to be inconsistent. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to be inconsistent. What are three skills you wish you would have learned before entering the army? The power of true delegation mm. and elevation. 
you know, being a doer, wanting to lean in and work on things that you can do because you believe in yourself. It's great for the short term, but it's unsustainable. Now, I've had to learn that in business over a long period of time that like, there is so much power in delegation and then empowerment. Mm-hmm. When you empower people to do a job, give them more responsibility, more accountability, people thrive. They thrive in empowerment. That is, that is part of building a, an amazing team, culture, and brand. Delegation, mm-hmm. elevation is, yeah, yeah. is number one. I'd say the second skill is patience. Mm-hmm. How much patience do you have? How much patience and how do you handle that in front of yourself and in front of others? Do you have a lot of patience? I do now. You did it then? In, in certain things I do now. <laughs> you know, building a business uh, has taught me a lot about patience. Running marathons oh, man. has taught me a lot about patience. You're not going to get there fast. You just gotta take it easy, slow, slow and steady. Yeah. You know what's funny is when I first started running marathons, um, if I had a seven mile easy run for that day, I'd go run that that seven miles as hard as possible. Running marathons, you can apply to a lot of parts of life. And my running, my my coach, my triathlon coach, her name was Natasha, based on Austin. She would respond to my stories before I started working with her, and she would say, "You're running too fast." You're running too hard. You're not going to get faster. Interesting. So I decided to work with her. I was like, well, well, help me get to where I want to be. So she's telling you you need to run slower in order to be faster. Right. Mm. So we sat down and we talked. And she said, I understand what you're trying to do. You know, you want to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. And you would think that running those seven-mile training runs as fast as possible will correlate to running a really fast marathon, but it doesn't. What you need to do is you need to run below your max aerobic heart rate. You need to run truly easy. You need to be in an aerobic state. You need to run slower to get faster. Mm. Why? Because you're building this foundation. You're building a strong foundation that you can build a house upon. Mm -hmm. If you lay no foundation, no aerobic foundation, you can't get faster all these track workouts and these speed workouts and these tempo workouts, they mean nothing. In a marathon. In a marathon. Right. Because you're not building it on top of this foundation. 26.2 miles is a long time to hold a certain heart rate and a certain pace. Yeah. So to run slower, you lay this foundation, you lay this base, and it's strong. It's bulletproof. Then you build upon it. That is patience. Mm. That is having the patience to run slower in order to get faster. You're taking a step back to get two steps forward. Mm-hmm. You apply that to everything. Your, your life, yeah. everything. You know, now having a kid and being married and leading a team, without patience, you're, you're struggling. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so patience and a third skill. The third skill, it is similar to the two. And it is that you can go really fast alone, mm-hmm. but you can go so much further together. I learned this by leading a platoon. I learned this in ranger school. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about other people. Um, you know, I, a few years ago, I did the Leadville 100 
ultra marathon in the Rocky Mountains of Leadville, Colorado. It starts above 10,000 feet of elevation and it's a brutal course. And that's one of those races that certain people can do by themselves. But me, I, I needed support. Yeah, I had a crew that would go from checkpoint to checkpoint and they would tape up my ankles. Wow. They would feed me. They'd fill up my water. And we titled that documentary More Than the Miles. You know, those 100 miles in an ultra, yes, it's going from point A to point B. But what you don't see is what gets you there. It's the support. It's the people. It's the distance that everyone else achieves and, mm-hmm. and goes through. That was a, a pivotal point in my life to realize, and I, th- I think a lot of people realize at some point in their life that you can go really fast by yourself. And early on in, in building my business, I had to. Mm-hmm. I had no choice or option. By yourself, as fast as possible. Gets you to a certain point. But for longevity, for endurance, for durability, a group of people mm-hmm. will go so much further. Yeah. If you know, I apply that now to building my family and building my business and team, and it pays off because there's no way I could get my business now to the point it is by myself. Yeah. I got it off the ground. I got it to a certain point, but it's here now because of the people involved. Absolutely. So you said it was more than the miles, is that what you said? It's, the, a, it's a documentary that we released about more than miles, yeah. It's our team going to Leadville, Colorado. That's cool. It was uh, it was a great experience. That's cool, man. So when did this mantra of go one more come about? It's 2018. And at the time, my wife and I lived downtown Austin. And I was on a training run for a marathon. And that day, I had to do 18 miles. This was early on marathons. This was, this was not like me current day endurance conditioning. So 18 miles for me, sitting at 230 pounds. A lot. Being this <laughs> bodybuilder. Uh it was a struggle fest. It was, yeah, it was, man. It was a pain cave. Clydesdale's up in here, you know? Yeah. And there was this one day that I was running down by Ladybird Lake in Austin. Beautiful course. 18 miles on the schedule. And I got to mile 10. And I was like, today's not the day. I'm calling it quits. So I started walking back to our, our house. Today's not the day to do 18. Right. Yeah. Just not feeling it. Start walking back to the house. And I'm, I'm in my head thinking... If I quit on this training run, what else would I quit on in life? The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So I went back on the course. I finished the run for the day. I went one extra mile. I went 19 that day. Wow. And I came back to my my house, took my hat off because I always wear a hat. And I wrote one more Mm. under the bill. Took a picture of it, posted on social media, and it went nuts. People were taking their hat. They were writing one more on the bill. They were taking photos. They were posting it. So in my head, I was thinking, well, this struck a chord with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. There's something here that is pushing people beyond what they believe they can achieve and do. That turned into go one more. And I got a tattooed on my arm. Mm, let me see. Yeah. And then now there's hundreds, if not thousands of other people who have go one more tattooed on their body. Wow. Because of the message that it, it creates. And it's not just one more mile on a training run. It's not one more rep in the gym. 
that doesn't do the the doesn't do it justice. Doesn't describe how powerful it is, but when things get tough and challenging and you hit obstacles and resistance, as you will throughout life, it's pushing past that obstacle. It's pushing through that resistance to get to the other side and realizing how much confidence that brings, how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. You do that over weeks, months, years, the power and that consistency of going one more, it compounds mm-hmm. and puts you well beyond where you ever thought you could be. Yeah, I just think one of the greatest things that any human can do for themselves is give themselves more belief in themselves. And the way you build more belief is by doing the challenging things and overcoming obstacles and following your mantra of going one more consistently. And when you do that, you feel bulletproof, like you said. You feel unstoppable. Even when there's pain and chaos, you feel like, I can handle this because I've always done one more. So I love that mantra, man. Well, the reason I put it on my arm here is it was before going into a big endurance training block. Ironmans and yeah, marathons. Man, you got to look at your watch. You got to look at it every every moment. Ultras, yeah. So I, I knew, like, you know, this is the ultimate for me. Ultimate placement of accountability. Just running it. Up there, it is. There. <laughs> when things get hard, like you know, you have no other choice than yeah, to push through. Wow. Who are the uh, the two or three most inspiring people uh, in the you know mental toughness, physical fitness? world right now in your mind that you're inspired by or you respect or you feel like they're living a you know a lifestyle that you really can watch and be like that's inspiring it pushes me to do one more to be honest it's 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 my team uh-huh. at bpn you know what's so powerful about the culture that we've created there is you know we're, we're a health and performance supplement company but everyone's living and breathing Mm. The lifestyle and the motto. You know, we went out last weekend. We supported uh, Jordan, my media director's wife, at a ultra marathon in Bandera, Texas. We have another one of our employees, Austin, who's doing a hundred mile race in Huntsville, Texas, in two weeks. Someone's always training for half marathon, marathon, ultra. Someone on our team's training for an Ironman right now. I think mean, being surrounded by that team. Uh, people who are constantly pushing in their professional and personal life mm-hmm. motivates me. Yeah. Um, you know, my mom, like I said, was a huge foundation um, in my life. And she, I mean, she applied going more to every part of her life. My mom was diagnosed with cancer in 2019, uh, stage four ovarian cancer. Mm. And it was one of those things that I thought, well, my mom's going to get chemo and she's going to get through it and she'll be living down here in Texas in six months. That was the plan. That was the year she was going to retire, move to Texas and live the rest of her life with her boys. And she got cancer. She got diagnosed. It was extremely aggressive. She passed away six months later, but she never gave up fighting. Mm. You know, even when she was in the hospital, even when she was in hospice, it was looking up and saying, what can I get you boys? Right. Like, mom, you're good. Just, just, just chill out for a second. You know, she applied that to her work with special education, uh, coaching special Olympics, helping the community. Mm. And there's one person I respect in this world. It's my mom. Mm. 100%. That's beautiful, man. Um, 
why do you care so much about your business and um, what you guys are creating? It's more than a supplement company. Um, I've poured my heart and soul into this business for the last decade of my life. I mean, everything. I think any entrepreneur can relate that when you start something you're so passionate about, you become what it is. You, you, you don't know who you are without it to a certain point. And we do a lot of in-person events. Mm-hmm. We do pop-ups, we, we host athletic clubs in Austin for our community. Uh, we celebrated 10 years in business this past August. We had a, a big event in the city. And it's when we get to meet the people. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, it's more than being a supplement company. We're mission driven, we're community driven. And you meet these people who, by watching the content, by attaching to the brand, by getting going more tattoo on their body, they've lost 100, 200 pounds. Mm. They become a better father, they become a better husband. Um, it's hearing those stories in person. There was a story that I heard when we were celebrating our 10 years in business that forever changed my life. And it was a single mother. She's probably my age. And she had a daughter with her who was probably seven or eight years old. And they pulled me aside because they wanted to talk for a second. And the mother said, you know, my daughter doesn't have a father figure in her life. I'm a single mom raising my daughter. And because she doesn't have a father figure in her life, I show her the content that your team produces, the videos and the podcast, the interviews. She uses that content as a mentor and a father figure for her younger daughter. That for me, that was heavy. Or this is the responsibility that we have. These are the lives that we have the ability to change. This is who's listening to this content. We have to be a role model in a space Mm -hmm. that is notorious for not being role model worthy. Yeah. That's my guiding principle now. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's inspiring. People can learn more about it at bearperformancenutrition.com, right? That's correct. You also got great content on your social media and your show as well that people can check out. It's all linked up with the website, right? It is, yeah. Before I ask a couple final questions, I got to acknowledge you, um, Nick, for your, your commitment and consistency over the last decade, for your service, not only... Uh, with the military, but also your service to helping people transform their lives. I think that's one of the greatest services that people can have when they're in service to helping people impact, grow, overcome, and become healthier. That's the highest currency is our health. So I acknowledge you for how you've used your some of your biggest obstacles to be an opportunity to serve and how you've used you know, the lessons you've learned from your parents and unfortunately your mom passing and using that finding meaning to serve other people and be open-hearted and generous and giving. It's really inspiring to see your journey from, you know, the first time I saw you reached out to me to where you were then making, you know, a couple thousand a month and now being a massive business in your business. So I acknowledge you for the consistency, for showing up and for the journey you're on, man. It's really inspiring. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course, man. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's episode with all the important links. And I want to remind you if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. 
At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and nada yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch to Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.